I am not bullish based upon where we are right now, but I am dead serious about pushing this discussion. I want our electeds to own the darn numbers. This is the state of our government. This is what's going on. If you're going to talk about something, you better talk about it in terms of reality. And if you're not going to do that, you're not a serious person. And if you're not going to accept the numbers that our government produces, you as an elected have an obligation to try to make those numbers better. If you're going to question the accuracy, shame on you. Either work with the statistical agencies to get them to be better, or accept that this is great work being done by the best statisticians in our country. That is the former Microsoft CEO, Steve Ballmer. And as you can probably tell, he is not kidding around on this one. His nonpartisan civic data initiative, USA Facts, has just published its third annual report on the U.S. government. And while it should probably be required reading for elected officials in the country, it's also a way for everyday citizens to get a clearer understanding of what's happening in the United States, with charts and graphs showing government revenue, spending, and results in areas including healthcare, immigration, the economy, education, trade, and the changing nature of the U.S. population. Basically, it's a picture of America in numbers, And coming up, Steve Ballmer will join us to look at that picture, discussing highlights from the newly released USA Facts 2019 annual report, including some numbers that might just surprise you. From GeekWire and USA Facts, it's Numbers Geek. I'm GeekWire editor Todd Bishop. Stay with us. We've got a big show coming up. Before we get started, a quick note. You don't need to be looking at the USA Facts annual report for this episode, but it is a great way to dive deeper into the issues and the numbers that we discuss. You can find it at usafacts.org. And with that, let's jump into our discussion with Steve Ballmer. Steve, what you and your team at USA Facts do is take a business mindset. You say, let's report on the government much as a business would report on itself. And so here we have the annual report for 2019, the 10K is out. If you were the the CEO of an organization that had these inputs and outputs, what would you want the shareholders to know or the taxpayers in this case? I would say, and I'm not one to catastrophize, but I would say as you look at the numbers, there's some things that are in the news a lot that people would really want to key off of. First, I think you really want to study what's going on with median household income. Uh, It doesn't matter whether you're looking at singles living alone, which is a very rapidly growing part of our population, or you're looking at people who are married with kids. Uh, Household income, earned income through jobs, et cetera, is down, which is alarming. Seniors are doing a little better than that, which is is great. But um, when it comes to household income, I think people say, hmm, Got to really think about that. I think as people take a look at some of the measures in health and in education, you could say there's a little bit of progress, probably not the kind of progress people would want or hope for. Everybody's got to imply their own value judgments. That's part of the way we think about it. But I'd highlight health, education, earnings. Uh, On crime, I think the trend most people would find 
uh, encouraging when it comes to violent crime and property crime, uh, which is a big deal. Uh, when it comes to the sort of uh, living situation of seniors and how well seniors live, I think you can be encouraged by what's in the numbers. Um, the overall thing, though, you just have to take a look at is, do you believe that it is sustainable for government to uh, run deficits? And if you believe it's okay and you have a theory of that, uh, you're probably okay. If you believe that over time government needs to do more to balance the budget, uh, you would take a look at it. You would see a widening deficit. You would see a widening trade gap. You would wonder what could happen to address those things. And if you're going to address them, it's quite clear with the magnitude of the numbers and a lot of that's coming from Social Security, Medicare, and to some, to some extent Medicaid, uh, we'd need to probably have some significant increase in tax revenue uh, as well as some uh, real control on costs. And, you know, you'd have to put that to the voters, so to speak. So on that topic, this was the number that just jumped out at me from the 10K. This was actually the passage. It said, without a change in current laws and policies, federal spending, especially for Social Security and Medicare, is forecast to outstrip revenue over the next decade, widening the national debt to 96% of GDP in 2028 from 78% in 2018. There is a risk that interest payments on the debt in 30 years could consume a growing portion of the budget, possibly limiting the federal government's ability to provide other services unless taxes are raised or revenue is otherwise increased. As a taxpayer, as a shareholder in the country, effectively, that, that alarms me. The theory, uh, the theory would be the economy is going to grow so much that if we apply today's tax rates at tomorrow's growth, we will cover essentially these deficits to be. And if we don't cover them in any one year, don't worry about it because our earning power is going up. Similar to companies that borrow early uh, and they say, hey, look, eventually things will, f will flip, we'll be okay. Uh, would I worry? Yeah, I'd worry at some point uh, we're really going to have to take a look and say, hmm, paying interest on our debt is uh, a bigger and bigger percentage of all the money we spend. And essentially today's workers will be paying taxes to pay for yesterday's benefits or today's benefits, particularly Social Security and Medicare. And you know, should the hard work of today's workers, what percentage should go to support today's seniors and uh, less advantaged people, the pressure to resolve that in a way that's uh, satisfactory for society, that pressure is going to go up. We've talked throughout these episodes about these economics, GDP, debt, trade deficit. Do you think that those numbers, the finances of the government, are being taken into account in the discussions of policy on all the other issues we talked about, like healthcare, education, everything else? I don't. I think part of the problem is uh, perhaps at least in the public debate, we're good at taking one issue at a time and saying, we need better health care. We need more education. We need X. We need Y. We need Z. And not taking a look at the benefits with the costs. The benefits with the costs. If it's a business, you say, hey, we need more R&D, we need more sales and marketing, but somebody's then, we need better products. 
at the end of the day, somebody's got to tote up revenue and expenses and to decide whether that's acceptable. Companies have a way to do that. What we do in our country is we take a look essentially at taxes, which are revenue, separately from expenses, separately from outcomes. Hey, we want more of this. Fantastic. How much expense and where the revenue is going to come from? A business would consider those things holistically. Uh, yet in our discussion, you know, there's a discussion in the news now about universal health care. You know, society can decide what to do about that. But I believe that discussion needs to occur in the context of what does it cost and where's the revenue going to come from or how much more into debt are we willing to go for that benefit. As I was going through this, this stuck out to me, and I would point listeners to this. If you're going to look at one page, I would say look at this in the annual report. You may disagree, Steve, but this shows government spending has exceeded revenue in all but six years since 1980. Total government debt reached $16.9 trillion, and that there's different ways to account for that. When you look at this chart, Steve, what stands out to you? Well, let me say this is a very important chart, but government's here to deliver benefits, not just revenues and expenses. So I look at a a few other key indicators. Uh, There's a a piece of text on the chart that also reminds us that tax revenue only exceeded spending in one year since 1980. Why is that important? Because the non-tax revenue typically has something to do with pension surpluses or government selling securities or land and the like, and the sustainable revenue piece is the tax revenue. You know, I look at this and say, hmm, is this a problem? Well, to the degree we can still pay the interest on this debt and do the other things we want to as a government, to the degree the taxpayers are willing to pay the taxes that are necessary to even give us this much deficit as opposed to a bigger one, I guess we'd be sustainable. Now, at some point, particularly if you look at the explosion of debt and we're at historically low interest rates, the $16.9 trillion, by the way, is what the government owns owes rather to non-government entities. Government also borrows some within itself, and that's what's excluded. But let's say interest rates, for whatever reason, went up 1% or 2%. If it went up 1%, there's another, what, $170 billion, roughly? Another $170 billion, which would go right back into the deficit. So I do worry about this because I worry about Americans' willingness to increase their taxes or Americans' willingness to cut what they get from government. If you look uh, at the top things on which we spend money, Medicare, Social Security, education, uh, paying for our our debt, uh, are amongst those things. I don't think people are going to give up those benefits. I don't know that people are going to be willing to pay for the taxes. And so anything that tweaks these numbers will cause debt to continue to increase as a percentage of all we spend. And will citizens belly up to the bar for that? I don't know. Well, one thing that was striking to me as well in this annual report was that you talked about trends and events that have happened over the past year and talked about numbers to watch in the coming years. One that really stood out to me was the impact of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And 
that it seems has had a disproportionate benefit to corporations. Corporate taxes have declined as a percentage of the overall income of the government since that was enacted. And yet personal taxes are still the the largest category of revenue that the government brings in. Couldn't somebody sit here and look at this and say, well, obviously the answer is to tax corporations more. People can look at these things and draw lots of conclusions. You got to remember total corporate income tax is single digit percentage of all government revenue. I'm not saying the cuts the cuts did cause hundreds of billions of dollars, but that's out of, you know, 5. Point whatever, 7, 8, 9 trillion this year. So it's it's both small and it's big. And you could say, "Hmm, what about that?" Somebody else could say, "Yeah, we should have cut corporate income taxes, but we should have increased some other tax." Somebody else could say, "We should have uh, decrease corporate income tax, but we should have taken away these this benefit, this this expenditure. Now, all of those theories are reasonable theories for somebody to have. You can take away, you can cut the taxes and say, at the end of the day, business will grow more and that'll generate more tax revenue. We don't make forecasts, but those are all reasonable things to think. On the positive side, and, and again, I know I'm applying value judgments. What you're doing at USA Facts, to be clear, is you are providing numbers and facts and letting other people reach their own conclusions. Now, I do think we should, my personal, this is one yes. area where I have a personal opinion. I do think we have to move to balance the budget. Um, society can decide how to get there. Revenue, expenses, I do think we need to do that because ultimately I do worry about that. Every business bone in my body um, on the other hand, how we get there, I'm silent. And as, and as you say, our job is to present the numbers, not to opine on what to do about them. It sounds like that passage that jumped out to me in the 10K also jumped out to you. Sure. Yes. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. On the positive side, and again, I'm applying a value judgment, but gross domestic product rose to $20.5 trillion in 2018, 2.9% increase from the prior year in real terms, inflation adjusted, as we've learned on the show. That's equal to the highest annual growth rate in the last decade. So, hey, man, happy days are here, right? I'd say two things. Number one, you want to adjust for inflation and you want to adjust for population growth. Why? Because we use our GDP to take care of our people. So let's say population doubled and GDP went up 1%, probably a problem because the government benefits would explode. So if you adjust for population increase, which I think off the top of my head was roughly 1%, you get something like a 1.9%. Historically, if you look over the last 20 years, it's a pretty big growth number, pretty good. Um, will it be sustainable or not? I don't know. I can get Excel to draw lines uh, through the GDP growth numbers, and it stands out as an exception, not the rule over the last uh, 10, to, 10 to 20 years. Um, you know, people have to decide what they believe. I will say that I know just enough economics to be dangerous, but at the end of the day, if you turn a bunch of money over to people in any one year, they will spend it and GDP will go up. Now, how that'll affect what they spend in subsequent years, these are all things economists speculate on. Um, we can happily report GDP was up, and we can happily say it looks like anomaly historically, and we'll see what happens next year. Is there a way to tell from the numbers what the drivers of that GDP growth were? 
Yeah. Uh, in the report, we give a 10-year perspective. We don't give a one-year perspective, but certainly the numbers are out there uh, to show what has happened. If you look at the general trajectory over the last 10 years, uh, the, the biggest industries and some of the biggest growers on a percent basis, uh, real estate, no surprise, uh, real estate uh, is 13.3% of GDP, and it's grown from $2.1 trillion to $2.6 trillion. Again, inflation adjusted, uh, relatively large growth compared to some other industries. Ironically, government is our second biggest industry, uh, $2.5 trillion, 12.6% uh, of the economy. Government is growing. Uh, the real estate business remains healthy. Manufacturing, despite what you read in the press, thinking manufacturing is shrinking, manufacturing is 11.2% of the economy, and it is flat. It is flat. It is not shrinking in real terms. It's stayed at $2.2 trillion. We'll have more highlights from the 2019 USA Facts Annual Report after this break, including the answer to this question. If this country were a stock, would Steve Ballmer be buying or selling based on these numbers? We'll be right back. What else stands out to you, Steve? What would be the, the top two or three things that you would say, hey, you, this is a surprise from the annual report, or this is what stood out to me? Well, you're really starting to see in the short term the rise that people talk about in terms of opioid deaths, uh, but also deaths by non-opioid drugs are surging, cocaine, methamphetamine. Uh, that, really, that really struck me. It's one thing to hear the rhetoric in the press, Actually seeing the government publish the numbers and seeing the change uh, is a big deal. I think taking a look at the number of children who are homeless, quote homeless, and how they are sheltered. I think when people say homeless, you think about somebody who's out on the street. If you look at most uh, children who don't have a proper home, they're living with somebody else. They may be living with family members. They may be living with friends. They're not on the streets per se, but there's still a few percentage, single digit percentage points of kids who actually live out on the streets. And you got to decide what is it that we're looking to accomplish? You know, they're kids in foster care. They, they show up differently. We certainly don't want kids on our streets, but in some cases, you know, you got to ask, are they living uh, with friends because their family's broke, because they shouldn't be living with their families? I, I, that's to me something to, to really dig into. Uh, and think about, and at least in our own case, my wife Connie and I, to ask if there's role for philanthropy to play to help with that. And actually, that's an important point to make. People might say, well, why the heck does this guy care? You grew up in a middle-class family. You benefited from the ability to move up through the, the quintiles, as we've looked at here on, on Numbers Geek. And the focus of your philanthropy with your wife Connie is making sure that kids have an equal shot at moving up. And so that is really the genesis of USA Facts was your wife challenged you to step it up. And you said, well, well, government can do it. And she said, really? And you said, well, let me show you. And you couldn't find the numbers. And so you had to create this report. Right. Right. I, mean, she, I told her, hey, let's just pay our taxes. And she said, probably all goes to defense spending, which isn't true. A lot of it does go to Medicare, which, which is true. Uh, but, you know, there's $1.3 trillion that are transferred uh, to help the disadvantaged. Not all of it goes to families with children. Some of it will go to seniors, et cetera, but a big chunk of it. And that's out of a total government spend of uh, 
$1.9 trillion. $1.3, it, it does stand out. Government is making the investments, but then that doesn't even include the education budget, which is another uh, close to $700 billion. If you look at it, how are we doing helping kids? You know, kids are able to read a little better, but we still don't have 50% of our kids who can read at grade level in third grade. Uh, kids are graduating a little bit more. They're getting more postgraduate credentials, which is, which is all good. And yet when you look at the, the research that's been done on government numbers, the statistical manipulation, you know, over the last 30 years, a lot of people who are born relatively poor stay relatively poor, particularly people of color. Any other big takeaways I cut you off there? Well, I do want to highlight the the improvement in crime rate. I think that's a big deal. Uh, it's much in the news um, at this stage how various states are dealing with nonviolent drug offenses and what that'll mean for our incarceration rates and is it good policy. Uh, we certainly have seen in California where – I spent some time studying the situation because of the Clippers being in Los Angeles. We certainly have seen some moves to uh, decriminalize, to clean people's criminal records based upon uh, some of these um, nonviolent drug possession offenses. Well, as it says in the USAFX annual report, while arrests for property and violent crimes have decreased compared to 1980, arrests for drug crimes per 100,000 people have nearly doubled in but that time period. if you look period. at that trajectory, that's now trending back down. And you look at the policies people are putting in place, which they hope will drive those numbers further down. And guess what we do here at USA Facts? Track that? We're going to look to see whether the numbers <laughs> as reported do what our politicians are promising us they will do. We've talked about what stands out to you if you were looking at this from the mind of a CEO. I want you to change your seat, go out into the audience of the shareholder meeting and ask yourself if you were an investor in an organization that looked like this, are you buying or selling? Well, I think it depends on where you sit. Uh, if you are the beneficiary of the growth in the economy and your kids are getting a pretty good education and you're pretty healthy, uh, you would say, hmm, pretty good. Some people say pretty good and I earned it all. And some people say pretty good and I should help you know, others more by transferring away my money. That's people's individual views, but you'd get two of them. If I'm in the middle class, I might say to myself, gosh, I really work hard. I'm working. I'm working because these people are all working. And yet somehow I'm not quite as able to, to get ahead financially as I'll say, as I used to. And some people say, hey, that just means I got to kind of work harder, find new opportunities. Some people will say, hey, look, the economy's letting me down. Some people say, hey, the government's letting me down. And, you know, if you take a look at education levels, you will also see that, you know, there's opportunity to have more people get a better education. But at the end of the day, our economy also has to generate the higher paying jobs. Um, and if I was in the bottom 20%, I don't know what I might say. I might say, hey, I, I'm okay with where I am. Somehow I'm making ends meet. And you know, some, some people would say I'm making ends meet. Uh, I can't really work. I have disabilities, et cetera, but I'm okay. Some people could say, hey, look, I'm really a mess. And I don't see any path forward for me. 
I'm a little older. It's not time for me to go back to school. I'm not quite sure how to get my kids uh, that opportunity. So I think it depends on where you sit. And, you know, our schools need to serve all of those people. Our criminal justice system needs to serve all of those people. Our immigration system needs to serve the, the breadth of people that we're talking about. Um, then you can overlay, you know, some people think government should do more for the population. Some think government should do less. Some people want more regulations. Some people think that we should have less. That overlays the lens you might otherwise have. What would you say to people who are dismayed by the polarized nature of the country? I mean, you've got, on the one hand, people who might be dist- distressed over the influence of the far right. Others might be distressed about the swings of the far left and socialism. Some might be distressed by both. What do you say to people who are frustrated by just the polarized nature? And, and can any comfort be found in the numbers and the facts that you're reporting this year? Yeah, I get very frustrated. I get very frustrated with the polarization. Why? People will say, we got to do X, we got to do Y, and people want to dramatize how different they are. And yet at the end of the day, when you get to the tools that are really in the hands of government, we don't have that big latitude. The big tax law was a big change, sort of. It was a change. It represented a philosophy. The numbers didn't change as much as you might think. The lifestyle of people aren't going to change as much as you might think. And so rather than talk with the biases and points of view that people have about what we can do concretely, what are our goals, what do we do concretely, what knobs of spending and uh, uh, taxing do we have to change the lives of people, People simply want to dramatize the differences. It makes for good drama. Maybe it makes for good electoral politics. Makes for good news coverage. Makes for good news coverage. I don't think it lets us really focus seriously on the issues. And when you get down to it, there are big issues that should be discussed and can be discussed through the numbers. Should we have a minimum wage? What should increase? What should it be? Well, go look at the numbers. Who, who lives, who earns below $15 an hour? What would it mean to move those people up? Where, where would the net effects be? And don't just bring in the darn economists. The economists are great, but you'll get an economist on the extreme right, the right, the extreme left, the left, on any issue. Take a look at it and form your own point of view. You're on the front lines of this, or you have been for the past few years. Based on that perspective, do you have any optimism that people could actually look at the numbers, look at the facts, and then argue? Because that's what you're trying to do. I am not bullish based upon where we are right now, but I am dead serious about pushing this discussion, pushing through the work we do around USA Facts, pushing on government. There's a whole theme in government about transparency of data. Well, I want I want our electeds to own the darn numbers. This is the state of our government. This is what's going on. If you're going to talk about something, you better talk about it in terms of reality. And if you're not going to do that, you're not a serious person. And if you're not going to accept the numbers that our government produces, you as an elected have an obligation 
to, to try to make those numbers better. I don't mean better like improve them. If you're going to question the accuracy, shame on you. Either work with the statistical agencies to get them to be better or accept that this is great work being done by the best statisticians in our country. Big picture, as we wind down this podcast, this project, what would be the key takeaways that you would want Numbers Geek listeners to to walk away from this conversation with? Yeah, I would say the value of numbers in telling a story is way underestimated. I have been I, – I love numbers. I'll say that. And in the course of my business career, a lot of people thought I was very interested in really detailed, specific numbers. And people would load themselves up with number after number after number. And then we'd come to a meeting. I didn't need all those numbers. The numbers paint a picture. Instead of using words like that's very large and that's very small, you could say, oh, that's 60% and that's 10%. It doesn't really matter whether it's 59, 60, or 61. You paint pictures through numbers. And it is very hard to paint certain kinds of pictures, especially when it comes to resources in and resources out and outcomes achieved. It's hard to paint those pictures without some numbers. So the numbers are about telling story. They're about helping people see, and not just some small little bit, but see things in context and really be able to develop a story in their head that is well-reflected in the numbers that you see or the charts. Charts help some people more than the specific numbers, but they tell a story, and whether it's in government or it's in business or it's in sports, numbers tell a story. They don't answer all the problems but they can help you get comfortable on what the real current state of the world is at a high level without having to remember thousands of numbers to the you know, 10th digit. In those big picture terms, what is the story of the United States in 2019 based on your read of the numbers? The story is, I would say, high level. Number one, standards of living are getting better, but only because of government subsidies. And that would be true for middle class and below. That's number one. Uh, We live in a world where those kinds of subsidies might be unsustainable or might not because we're running deficits. Despite the work that we are doing, some things are not improving as much as people might think in terms of the education and health of our population. We are safer in many ways and defense remains a complete wild card. I have no way to have an opinion about how much defense spending we need, but it's been a relatively well-managed expense in terms of growth um, uh, overall. And we are making a significant investment in our seniors. And uh, people have to say, yep, I like that investment, or come up with other, other ways to think about people saving enough to retire for lives that are certainly uh, lasting somewhat longer than they used to. That's a good synopsis. That was the perfect Cliff's Notes <laughs> of the USA Facts 2019 annual report. You can read the full report, both the glossy annual report and the 10K at usafacts.org. Steve Ballmer, I've had a ton of fun doing this Numbers Geek podcast with you, and I want to thank you for doing it. Well, it's been a pleasure. I've had a lot of fun too, Todd, and uh, look forward to working with you again. Sounds great. 
Thank you for listening to Numbers Geek. You can find the full USA Facts 2019 annual report on U.S. local, state, and federal government at usafacts.org. And go to geekwire.com slash numbersgeek for episodes on the numbers behind healthcare, education, trade, immigration, the middle class, and other key issues facing the country. We will be back soon with the Numbers Geek finale when we will be asking the question, what is the most important number in the world? With answers from Bill Gates, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, CNN commentator Amanda Carpenter, and even Josh and Toby from the West Wing. Well, at least Bradley Whitford and Richard Schiff who played them on the show. Numbers Geek is produced by GeekWire in partnership with Steve Ballmer and USA Facts. Graphic design by Killer Infographics. Theme music by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. Photos, video, and technical support from Kevin Lasoda. From GeekWire, I'm Todd Bishop. See you next time on Numbers Geek.